Welcome back to the Film Experience. It's your host, Nathaniel. And one last thing about the Oscars. We're wrapping up much quicker than usual. Um, And I have special guest, Nick Davis. Hi, Nick. Hello. Now, we both had sort of a sorrowful Oscar night because the show was problematic to... But um, I understand, on a happier note, I understand you taught a lecture about the Oscars. I did. Earlier this week. And so why don't you tell the listeners about that? Because it sounded really interesting to me how you paid tribute to the categories that were demoted in the actual show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I broke my arm on the way into the lecture hall, which should have been a sign that this Oscars week was going to be fucked up. But (laughs) um, yeah, I, I took them through this little short, memory lane of the eight categories that we were going to miss this year um, and talked about how one of my first Oscars that I watched was the Dangerous Liaisons one production design and I was 11 and I'd never seen a movie that looked like that and the next year it was Batman and I didn't think that the same craft could possibly stretch to those two things and how I'd never heard of Japanese internment until Days of Waiting, one live act, one documentary short in 1990, and how Trevor was, you know, a live action short I'm glad the whole world saw and started this amazing foundation. And um, and so I gave the examples of amazing moments that have corresponded to all those categories. And then we looked at the big categories that I knew the audience wanted to look at, but we looked at them through the prisms of the things that they that people think are sub servient or something so we um i talked about all the supporting actress nominations via the crucial factor of editing and how a supporting performance depends on an editor who thinks that that part is important to the storytelling and that um you know there are examples like in king richard when she edits, it's not just that we get the information that Oracine is training Serena while Richard is off with Venus, but she edits all of that under one continuous music cue so that if the studio had tried to shorten a two hour and 20 minute movie by thinking we don't need to know about Oracine, you can't do it because, you know, you'll fuck up the soundtrack to this and it's all one family gesture. It's not two spaces. It's the whole same thing is going on or, you know, scenes in Power of the Dog where Kirsten Dunst, you know, is being terrorized into silence. But another editor might have just kept her off screen because she's not saying anything if that editor thought this movie was only about what happens between men. And mm-hmm. um, so and we did makeup for all the actress nominees. And so, yeah, we tried to we tried to take seriously that actors mean it when they say we can't do what we do without these collaborators and I think you know those of you listening I don't know if you had a chance to read the interview with Peter Severus who's the editor of Power of the Dog but one of the things that I thought was really funny and he laughed about he had a good sense of humor about is um he was talking about performances and he was talking about one of my favorite shot one of my favorite Kirsten Dunn's performance moments in the film was actually what they used as the clip at the Oscars. Now, I don't think it was necessarily like the right choice for an Oscars clip because in out of context, it doesn't play as well, but within the scene, within the film, it's like this incredible moment. Um, And he was talking about how, like, you know, they shot it multiple times and he's like, every time he's like, she was just incredible. And he was, he was basically, you know, acting like he was, in awe of her essentially Uh watching all the different takes he's like every time it was just 
she was just on fire and it was just perfect. And he's like, I think we ended up using the second take, but really she gave us so much, you know? Yeah. And, and so when he was talking about her performance, I, you know, I joked to him, I'm like, well, I think editors should be the one who decide acting Oscars because you're actually <laughs> seeing everything. Yeah. And I'm like, so you might've saved somebody's performance. I know you'll never tell. And I'm not going to ask you who that was of your career, <laughs> you know? but yeah. I'm sure editors have done that. I'm positive they have done that. Yeah. And he was like, well, it only takes one good take to get a good performance. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. And he laughed. Yep. But in that example, he was just like every take, you know, stuff he couldn't use. She was brilliant. He was just very, very complimentary about Kirsten Dunst. But I've thought about that before when watching like special features, which aren't as common anymore. Now that yeah. physical media has, you know, is starting to go the way of the dinosaur. But um, I remember watching the, the outtakes from uh, The Social Network. And I love Andrew Garfield as an actor, but I was really surprised in the outtakes that there were a lot of things they didn't use where I thought, oh, that didn't... <laughs> I'm glad they didn't use that, you know? Like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Like I thought it was like a little big or yeah. just like a little too much for that particular scene. Like there was a couple moments where I was like, well, that was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm glad I think they chose well um to shape that performance you know because it, they I think I can't remember what the special feature was about but I think it was about the editing process and how many different choices you have of an mm. actor doing the same line yeah um and then you can just see that they they really have a lot of power especially yeah. if the director shoots a lot like David Fincher does you know absolutely so um, that's a long way of saying we weren't pleased with uh, eight of the categories not being shown live, but because we don't want to be too much of a bummer because that's what all the coverage has been like. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about Will Smith or any of that today because um, I feel like if you want to hear about that, there's plenty of you can listen. <laughs> a bounty of possibility. Yes. Yeah. Um but what is something, because it was a rough show and there was a lot of stuff that we didn't enjoy because we didn't feel like movie love, what, you know, can, what, what's something that happened during it where you're like, okay, this is the Oscars for me. I, I, I'm enjoying this part. Um, I, let's see. I mean, uh, well, you were very nice and you quoted me in an article that you wrote afterward talking about all the people who managed to power through and say something about art or about a larger significance attached to what it meant to them to win or what yeah. for their movie to be recognized. And I thought um, Ariana DeBose did that right out of the gate. And I thought Troy Kotzer did a beautiful job of that. And I thought Questlove did a beautiful job of that. And I really, I loved Kevin Costner. I think this is one where we disagreed a little bit. I mean, I understand what you're saying about how like, this is not the voice, especially in the third <laughs> hour of the telecast. Um, but um, I, I just loved the earnestness of that man in that moment and the wanting to center us back in how this can be an inspiring form and mm -hmm. that you never know what the movie is or how you can be seven years old and it can be the yeah. moment where you have that. And, and even, uh, even though I actually thought a lot of the jokes by the hosts were, were pretty good that night, like it, the fact that they weren't, and I was feeling like some of them were also kind of mean. And Derek was like, these just don't seem meaner to me than, 
these kinds of jokes at these kinds of events usually are, but I just realized that we'd missed anything like a, it's amazing what we've all done. We're here to honor you. And within yeah, yeah, that yeah. context, we're going to poke you, you know, like, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there were, there was some excitement to watching how far Amy Schumer was willing to take her being the Ricardo's screed, even though I thought it was a little pointed. And I thought, yeah, that is interesting. He did try to make a movie about the bus trip between episodes. And that's why I thought it was kind of cool that he tried that. But like, you know, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Or I mean, I, I, I appreciated that joke, too, because I appreciated it because it was a joke with a point of view. Yeah. It wasn't just like an anti-art joke, like too many of the jokes. Yes. It was like, this is a comedian who wanted to see a movie about another comedian. Yeah. She was just like, what am I watching? Yeah. And so I thought that joke had such a great point of view, even though I agree with you that it's really interesting that he decided to make a movie that way, even if the movie is uneven. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you want to see Lucy, you can just watch I Love Lucy. Yeah. You know, or a documentary. Absolutely. It, again, yeah. bounteous opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe like, I didn't talk about this before, but like Jenny Bevan, for example, who was like somebody who I said her name to you once and it was the moment that our friendship locked in in that car <laughs> on the way to New York. And her talking about like, I almost turned this down and I'm so glad that I didn't, but it required the wardrobe supervisor that I wanted. And it meant, you know, like it just like an actual creative backstory to help people wind up in these projects. And yeah that none of this was inevitable. I mean, that was a moment for me, but what about for you? Um, mine's kind of dorky, but I felt it a little bit during the original song performances, uh-huh. which are always so controversial, but they just felt like how the Oscars always are. Like, it's like a, a little too much. It's like a little um, hokey. The song performances tend to be in that thing, but it's also very earnest. And that's something I've always liked about the Oscars. Is that yeah. Yeah sort of like you know now they're embarrassed about it but they didn't used to be embarrassed about it It just used to be complete earnest yeah (laughs) and so like I loved that there was just like a little too much for like the Dos Origuitos you know performance yeah um I just felt like I was a teenager again watching the Oscars for that moment that makes sense that makes total sense you know and you know, and I always like the speeches are always the saving grace because there are always going to be some good speeches. And even like bad speeches are good TV and just bad speeches are good speeches, just like how we're happy when we see movies we don't even like that much, you know, <laughs> but yeah. seeing people be inarticulate or being like, why don't you understand that if you don't talk faster, the other two guys aren't going to get to talk like, you know, there's yeah. always that kind of like, but I kind of enjoy that shit. You know? Yeah. Um, so like the only times I I that it the speech made me mad are usually were producing choices again like the Hamaguchi speech and I'm like how fucking dare you yeah like he's not even using his translator which I expected him to since she walked up there with him I'm sure like, she expected it too yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he like she had her she had her pen ready yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I just thought, how fucking dare you? Like, he's, he's like really putting himself out there in, yeah. you know, a language he's, you know, not that fluent in to try to give the speech. And I'm like, let him speak. Like, nobody is changing the channel yep. at this moment. Or if they are, fuck them. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I was very angry about that. So, there was like a lot of, especially since there wasn't, if it would be one thing if it was like one of those, 
many ceremonies where they've thought we need to play off everyone who's talking, which makes me so crazy since this yeah. are the Oscars. Yeah. Um, it's an award show. Hence you give out awards and people give speeches. That's what it is. You know, um, I also really loved the, the in memoriam this year. I mean, I heard this complaint about it, um, you know, but since they restructured how they did it, you know, the, the three different actors got, you know, more attention than the other people, but that always happens. So I, that didn't offend me. Yeah. But I liked that it was that, you know, the way they reconstructed it was, you know, it had, it felt like movements, like in a, like a mini play, you know, like different different parts of a song and then they would be broken up with these. I, I just thought it worked really well. Yeah, I didn't really anticipate how polarizing that would be because I've heard that adduced as both a peak and a valley in the show in different accounts of it. And I, I liked the, there's so many different mourning traditions that exist in the world. And like, you know, a joyful celebration of the people we miss is an op, is an option. Um, and I thought that um, there was a way it was a little bit like gospel for hire for me. Like it was just not quite contextualized um, how that sort of vocal group was being used. And I also right. thought it was like amazing that like you brought Jill Scott all the way out from Philadelphia to not sing at the end of the, like that was weird. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was the kind of thing of like every show takes its own kind of adventures and what they want to experiment with. And for me, I agree with you. I thought that, I thought that worked out nicely and mm-hmm. Maybe this will be an obvious one too, but um, I think I knew about the Godfather tribute coming into the telecast, um, yeah. but I did not know that we were getting Cabaret. Also, I don't know if everybody else knew that, and I didn't. But like did that, announced Cabaret. I had yeah, that was such a like. Um, I mean, I want to shout out especially the ever reliable Matthew Eng for saying on Twitter that it's been ages since Liza was showcased not as like a camp figure and not as a mess and not as but but as a major American artist yeah of substantial accomplishment and watching you know watching Lady Gaga get her through that moment reminded me of like watching Glenn Close get Deborah Carr through her Lifetime Achievement when those used to be on the telecast and seeing the genuine reverence that um, that artists are good at holding on to for artists in their own mediums. Um, And you've said this more than anybody, how that should be a backbone of the show and teaching the rest of us to remember or learn for the first time, you know, on whose shoulders we all get here. And that was a moment where I thought the show had seemed so uninterested in that kind of thing. Like was suddenly really beautifully interested in it. But again, it was a thing where it felt like it happened by accident. So like the highlights, it happened only because Lady Gaga feels that reverence for legendary entertainers, you know, rather than the show feeling the reverence. Yeah, sort of. That was my frustration with it because even great moments like that, it just didn't feel like anyone involved had reverence. Um, And I, Mm. again, I don't want the show to be super heavy. I understand the need to poke fun at itself, Mm -hmm. but you can't poke fun at something out of love if you don't love it. Yep. Yep. That's true. Like that's the whole thing. Like. Yes, they've always had jokes about movies being boring or whatever. You know, we've talked about this. I was yeah. very, but in this 
in the context of this show, I thought it was super, super off-putting. Yeah. Um, and like, even the joke that, like, I was sort of giggling, but it was like one of these like schisms in my mind because I was like, this is funny, but also this is why I hate the current Oscars, the Wanda Mm -hmm. Sykes Museum Tour. Because every joke was about her not understanding what any movie was. Yeah. Which was funny, like on a cerebral level that she kept getting these like very iconic movies wrong. But in the context of the show, I'm like, this is what's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you can't even, you you don't even care about Wizard of Oz. I mean, there's like some things that are so much a part of the culture that you know it even if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And at least have reverence for those like things, those 10 things, you know? Yeah, I think it's funny too how Wanda Sykes is sometimes a comic like what you said about Amy Schumer where the point of view is so specific and so rewarding and like that yeah. can that can range across her most kind of like um like profane and scabrous jokes and yeah. some of the more benign ones but then there are other times where it just feels like there's not much point of view in the sort of pretty easy um yeah. humor and it reminded me of like I mean, I think I felt more positive toward like the Chris Rock like interviews people at real movie theaters and all they really care about is Saw 2. You know, like I actually thought that was sort of funny. Um, but it was almost like the host is one of the moviegoers in the multiplex who only cares about Saw 2. That's sort of weird, but okay. Um, I mean, I will absolutely say that would save the whole night for me. And it was the last thing that I saw coming was I, I I could not breathe or stop laughing for six minutes after it was revealed that Spider-Man had come in fourth in this stupid-ass bunny-slope bullshit rigmarole that they invented for it. And then as we got closer to the top... And it was Army of the Dead and a zombie jumping into a helicopter. I mean, I was euphoric in that way that you are when you're both at rock bottom and just delighted. (laughs) And the idea that Judy Dench was sitting there watching a minute of Army of the Dead was so great. And that Marvel hadn't just barely missed it, but they like fully valued it and like, you wanted the public. You thought the internet was the public. The internet is bots and 12-year-olds. They trolled you so fucking hard. And, like, <laughs> you didn't want to, like, put this idea away when everybody told you it's fucked up, don't do it. Now you bet you're not going to try it again now. Like, it's so Well, great. I don't know. Maybe they will because, you know, Pan is per- partnering with TikTok now. It's <laughs> Well, I mean, who knows, but I think producers will, I mean, either they will just have to be like, you know, just give it the random Bond tribute that you just gave it. Just be like, Spider-Man was amazing this year. We're going to look at five minutes of it. But like this idea of it being a category, it was just so gratifying watching it explode in their faces. And yeah, and also it's, I mean, it's just so embarrassing. I mean, you can't control what other people do with things, but you should prepare yourself for that you know like the academy said over and over again this is not an official category yeah and yet imdb is already listing it as one an oscar (laughs) army of the dead it says one you know like under a movie it says one you know like if they want yeah yeah one two oscars it says one 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 oscar 
unbelievable. So it's just like you can't you can't control like once you put something out into the world, the world's just going to play with it, you know. So it's like yep. you have to be careful <laughs> what yeah. you put out into the world. Uh, yeah. Um you know, and I haven't seen Army of the Dead. I don't have an opinion of it other than I didn't understand what was happening. And I've seen a lot of zombie movies. Yeah. And I still didn't understand what was happening. Like, <laughs> it wasn't even like a, a scene that looked like intriguing from a filmmaking perspective. I remember, no, it didn't. Like, I I saw, like, I remember I was at a party one year and um, I feel like Zack Snyder's an appropriate topic. <laughs> We're talking about these embarrassing things and Flash some moment that I didn't even remember from Justice League was the number one cheer moment or something. Of all of movie history. Yeah. And uh I and I literally I've seen that movie. I literally didn't remember that. <laughs> so like I was just like, okay. Um and you know, not only did did I not remember it, but like I grew up reading comic books. I'm theoretically mm. the audience that should be nostalgic for those things. Yeah. And I, I I am the flash was like my favorite DC comic when I was oh, a little kid. Uh-huh. So the fact that I don't remember this when I have <laughs> natural like affection for that character. So I'm just like, whatever. So, but anyway, um, I was at this party in New York once and um, they were, you know, at some parties they leave the TV on to a movie or whatever. So it's like background. Sure. And it was playing um, Zack Snyder's uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh-huh. And I had not seen it. And, you know, I know that both you and I really like that movie, yeah. um, but I had not seen it at that point. And I remember I would just out of my corner of my eye, the filmmaking was so strong that I ended up just I, there was no sound. But I ended up staring at the TV because like the visual choices were so strong and I felt like, oh, my God, I have to see this movie at the party at the party. Yeah. And now, of course, I am a film geek. So like other people probably weren't doing that. But the point is, like those scenes, those fan favorite things were not even like. Or they the didn't even hurt your attention. Yeah. No, I was just like, there's a helicopter. And then why are we watching the helicopter? It felt like a two minute clip of that helicopter. It sure did. Which was, was one like, of the best things is, about it. I don't even understand what's happening. Like somebody jumped into a helicopter. The hel- is the helicopter flying? Is it falling? Like, I don't even understand what's going on. And I do not care. I just felt like I got Novocaine'd and like the whole second half of this, I just feel anesthetized. Like you've showed me where we are. We're in American gladiators, but also love Island, but also some utterly tragic. Like, it's like when you watch the TV screen in the cab and you're like, what is this? You know, like, and that was how I understood where we were from that point forward. So like, yeah, give the screenplays to like the worst screenplays. That's we're in the upside down. It's cool. Like whatever, I guess, I guess we know where almost everything's going now. But it took the edge off in a way to watch such a complete fiasco. Yeah. Um, such as it was, but I, I wound up feeling fucking grateful to Army of the Dead. Who knew, you know? Who knew? Who knew? Um, so the ratings were up a little bit. Um, uh huh. But we all knew that was going to happen. Last year, like, why did they panic? Yeah. Award shows when they couldn't have celebrities there or only a few celebrities, of course, people are not going to be excited about them. Right. Um, so 
We knew it was And it was go. never going to be like, what's going to win? Nomadlander, Mank. Like, it just wasn't that kind of <laughs> year, you know? But, like... Yeah. Um, and then it couldn't feel, like, glamorous, which is, like, half of what you need for the Oscars, you know? Um, because of COVID. So it's, like, whatever, you know? And so, like, the ratings are up, but I'm, like, are they going to take all the wrong lessons from that? Or are they going to realize they only went up, a, you know, a little bit, so... Or should we just stop worrying and find ways to make peace with the death of something we grew up loving? Because what you're talking about with like, you know, dangerous liaisons and production design and, uh, you know, that cluing you in, those things exactly happened to me. I bet. I'm a little older than you. So it's like, for me, it was like earlier in the 80s. It was like seeing, I the first time I watched the Oscars, I hadn't seen any of the movies. Mm-hmm. you know so people are always like oh but i haven't seen that oh nobody's heard of that or whatever i'm like that doesn't matter the whole point i mean it matters but like what matters is that if you respect them and you display them in a way that's exciting people can become excited about it yes i had not seen anything the first time i watched the oscars and i was instantly like i have to see everything exactly <laughs> even though they were clearly not for a child these movies yeah and i was like i have to see that I mean, I remember it was like, well, it was 1983 uh-huh. the, the, in the ceremony in 84, of course. So like, but it was like the terms of endearment year when that yeah. was the first ceremony I watched. And like, I hadn't seen anything. And I was just like, you know, I got to see Shirley MacLaine screaming at people in a hospital. I got to see like, <laughs> the killing fields. I got to see or whatever. I, I, I'm probably mixing up years now. I got to see the right stuff. What's this? Who are these astronauts? Like, I was just like, obsessed from then on. Ruben, Ruben. Who's Ruben? <laughs> Why are there, are there two Rubens or one of them's just in trouble? <laughs> and I, like, I mean, I, I sort of knew who people were through, like, because the culture used to be, like, a little more uniform. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of knew who the big stars were, even though I hadn't seen their movies. Like, I knew who Shirley MacLaine was. I'm not sure how I knew that, but I totally knew who she was. Yeah. Um, But it was still, like, all these things I had not heard of that my parents certainly weren't talking about like the the movie i had seen that year was like return of the jedi you know of course yeah you know so like and but i was just so excited about everything and like i i I never missed an oscars after that and i just don't understand why they don't think that can happen i think i feel so especially full circle about that because my equivalent to yours was the the 86 oscars and so and and it was marley matlin winning in particular not just because she seemed like not that much older than people on the bus with me and not that much more hollywood than people on the bus with me and because her movie had this amazing title it's like i don't know you can be nine and be like it's there are children and there's a lesser god and they're the children of a lesser (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are multiple gods and some are, I mean, like, show me that, you know? <laughs> and I, like you're saying, I didn't really know exactly who Sissy Spacek and Jane Fonda and Kathleen Turner were, but I knew that to have beat them as somebody I've never heard of must be a big deal. And like on our Marine base, my brother was like, we got to go see Top Gun. And I was like, I don't know, this Hannah and her sister sounds like people think it's pretty good. Like maybe we should wait for that. But like, <laughs> to see like that Marley Matlin Oscars that excited me about 
everything. Like some guy yeah. was tied to a crucifix and it was going over a big waterfall in South America and aliens, which I had seen a million times was being held up as, as good as I thought it was. And yeah. I just watched this Marley Matlin Oscars and thought like, I'm trying to figure out if I didn't already like movies, if this would make me interested in them. And yeah. I, and I just don't, I don't know that that would be true. And um, yeah, I just don't know that that would be true. Yeah. Well, I mean, the show itself has to be interested in them. Yeah. Like, I mean, even like Liza Minnelli, I mean, yes, it, they did hold her up as a legend. And yes, that's a good point. It was, was, she was finally presented as that rather than like, oh, it's kooky Liza, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, there was no, they could have introduced her with a clip. They sure could have. Uh, yeah. You know, of Cabaret or, you know, a clip of her, you know, Oscar speech. They used yeah. to show Oscar speeches from other years on the show. Yep. Like they little, did. like montage reels. Yep. And so you could see the history of, of that category or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, not all the time, but it was like one of those things that sometimes you'd see a montage like that and you'd be like, oh, look at this history. Yeah. And like, do you have to like history or like you're saying, did you, did you have to like movies before this happens or what were the show was the show presented in such, such a way that it was meant to hook you? I don't know. Yeah, or even like the person who would come out and tell you for, I mean, I understand, I understand they're trying to cut it down, trying to get it down, but if, if they're learning it was, to... It was, almost, it was longer, yeah, it was I know. Like, it was way like, longer than last year. Let somebody come out and tell you for 35 seconds about Drive My Car and just help you yeah. know what it is, you know, because that was certainly the least well-served by its little cliplet or whatever that was. Yeah, and yeah. I always liked it when it was somebody who wasn't connected to the movie, you know, that like, um, you know, you got to a sense of like people out there have different tastes and like, who knows what you'll like once you get exposed to the different things that are up here. But yeah. Um, yeah. It just, it just didn't feel like, and I'm, you know, I'm sure I've said it on other podcasts or we've said it to each other. Cause I feel like I'm always saying it, but the way it's been written out of history that, that Terms of Endearment was the second biggest hit that year. Rain Man was the biggest hit that year. Kramer versus yeah. Kramer was by a million miles the biggest hit of the year with Alien in it. Like that yeah. we have this whole idea that we have to be embarrassed in advance about the movies we're about to tell you about. Um, even the ones like Don't Look Up that 8 jillion people have watched and, you know, many, many of them liked like that. It's just, it doesn't even seem like it's a glimmer of possibility that there's a viewer, old, young, whatever out there who's like on the cusp of being interested in something if you would just act like it's interesting. And they're not doing that. Yeah. But I bet the one thing I would have responded to my little nine-year-old children of lesser God self, and this gets back to your question about when did it feel like the Oscars, as infuriating as it was that it was also jerry-rigged, like watching all those people who worked with Denis Villeneuve look so much like they wanted to pay tribute to him and yeah. what he created out of something and watching him just beam at how many of them were being recognized, yeah, albeit like all in categories that got messed up almost. Yeah. Um, but there was a sense, I feel like there's often like that one movie where you can, or at least one movie where you can tell that boy, do those people miss working together and felt like they really got a Wonka golden ticket to be on that that crew and yeah, that yeah. came through so strongly for Dune and and Derek hasn't seen it and never read it and 
he was verifying like, oh no, based on all of this, I, I totally want to watch Dune now. And I didn't before, like the images okay. they're showing yeah. us, but also the things people are saying about the work they did, like that's all paying off. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, may, that makes sense. I mean, in that regard, it reminded me of the Mad Max year, but even, um, even in the Mad Max year, like this is what you rob the show of when you don't include everything and you don't do it like within the context of time actually moving in a live event, very important. Yeah. yeah. Is you got the sense on the Mad Max year of this incredible momentum, incredible yeah. respect for that movie that you didn't know. I mean, you you had an idea because of a lot of nominations, but like yeah. I didn't and you know, I you, you and I follow this so closely, I didn't understand how much Hollywood respected Mad Max until that night. Yeah. I thought people thought, oh yeah, of course it's like a it's like a craft it's very interesting crafts and it's like they all like really were firing on all cylinders, but I didn't until it started winning everything. I was like, Holy mm. crap. Hollywood actually understands that this is a miracle. Just like, you know, critics and cinephiles understand that it's a miracle. Yeah. Which was so heartening that night. Yep. And it was so interesting to see it move on and the sort of the, the, the suspense and the momentum is like, how many is it going to win? Like, you know, all this stuff and that, you utterly rob the show of stuff like that when you don't respect the categories. Yeah. And I think it even comes through in the way that as they've, um, I know it has something to do with this sort of like socially distant bunkette style of how yeah. people are sitting, but, um, you know, even I love watching people who are sitting next to people that they have nothing to do with instead of just these little pockets of like the Belfast yeah. table and the whoever. And I love like being in wide shot and getting a sense of the crowd because I feel like that's part of what makes those moments exciting when you see that the whole theater is getting pumped for Mad yeah, Max yeah. victories. And it, and it can work in the other way that I, I felt like you know, I'm tallying all the awards that Power of the Dog is now 0 for 9, but, like, there'd be something about the drama of watching our frontrunner just running out of gas completely in category yeah. after category that it kind of didn't feel that potent um, just as some storytelling as it might yeah. have. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I was I was just, uh, like, when we were talking about which was our first Oscars earlier, I... Uh, I looked up the year just so I could see. I'm also realizing that was the year that I learned who Ingmar Bergman was. Of course you did. That makes total could, sense. Could you imagine like some little kid watching this? They wouldn't understand who Ryosuke Hamaguchi is with the show because they were trying to get him off the stage. Yeah. And that would be a great opportunity for somebody to learn about some foreign director that they had no idea who it was. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's just such a bummer. Yeah. That's a bummer. And like, you know, it's possible that we're wrong. And like, you know, I'm sure people who are really into the 1967 Oscars watched the ones we watched. So we're like, this isn't the same, you know, but like, but, you know, who knows what like, you know, anybody watching would think. But I, I truly do think the show and this is why I still feel so petulant and I own it that I'm being a dick about it. But right. I thought last year was so great. And I loved that people talked as long as they wanted to. And Thomas Vinterberg got five minutes to thank everybody he wanted to thank before he even got to the story about his child. And it was 
the amount of earnestness and intimacy and like we made this happen despite all adverse circumstances like i thought that was such a tender and engaging and i also just like i feel at the movies i really truly hope it's not about me i hope it's about me getting access to something that i could never imagine by myself and that oscars last year felt like this is for the people who are there and they are all seeing each other it's not even a huge group of people but like it felt like an experience that they really had in a kind of intimate way and i felt so um fortunate to get to watch it and to feel like they got the time they needed and the fact that the whole world was so hard on that ceremony and it was boring and it wasn't entertaining and like you know i I understand the reason for quibbles but i just felt like be careful what you're gonna get if you tell the whole enterprise that what you need is to be goosed and entertained and pandered to all the time and centered in the experience. And this is what that wound up looking like. And yeah, no, that's true. But I, I I think there were some easy fixes last year that I just don't understand at all that, that would have made it that people wouldn't have been that hard on it. Like, like, I don't, I, I just don't understand that even from Steven Soderbergh, who's a filmmaker, like you're talking about films and you're very clearly earnest about the films. Like you're saying, and yet mm-hmm. no clips? Yeah. Like, what was the pro- thought process behind that? Yeah, that was weird. Because that was the killer, I think, of joy for people watching that ceremony. Like, there was just no... Unless they were, like, deeply connected, they, it was, I think it was really hard for people to put themselves in it at all. Like, oh, I've seen that. Or, like... I think that's probably true. Yeah. That. I can understand that. And like I said, I admit I'm bratty about this, but I, I think that's why the texture of that event felt so specific that like, we're not even going to, this is not like what this year's felt like of like, we're sort of pretending like we're doing this for all of you, but actually we're not giving you anything. It felt like last year was like a small tribe of people whose affection for each other and that they'd even gotten through this awful year was what right. that show was about more than it was about, um the movies and it's sad too because those movies could have used a boost um but um so i i get that there are critiques but i just feel like we sometimes and we're probably you know i'm sure there are people listening like well you guys are doing this right now like where you lean so hard into what was wrong with what you just saw that it probably does tell the industry that there's no way to do this right and it does feel like we're kind of on a precipice right now where they might really just you know, do this as an hour long show or, um, <laughs> or Tony's it up where you're never really sure which channel you're supposed to be on from what hour to the next. And you, yeah. you know, um, I just, I really hope that doesn't happen, but you said it before, do we just need to acclimate to the inevitability of that? And I'm getting worried about that. Yeah, no, me too. And I, uh, again, that's another reason why I hate being so critical. I just, I just don't understand why, they don't understand that that yeah. is what's really hard for me about it yeah like i got i can't you know say it out loud because <laughs> it's off the record but i got a lovely note from a real famous director this week talking about like that he appreciates that there are people out there that get that get it you know mm. and that understand it and he just doesn't you know understand why they don't understand it about their own brand and it was just like a real treat for me to hear that from someone within the industry. I love well, this like, Zack Snyder wrote to you. I think that's <laughs> no, but I'm I, like, it, it made, it, it gave me a little bit of a hope because like, I know there are people in the industry that feel this way. Yeah. 
and they're just like, what is the issue here? Yeah. Because it can't just be ABC. I know everybody wants to make ABC the villain, but it's a bigger problem than that. Because, like, if you think about, like, filmmakers and the filmmaking community, these are Herculean tasks making a movie. Mm-hmm. So the people who get far in that industry are people who are very formidable. Mm-hmm. So you can't tell me that, oh, I don't know what ABC said, that everybody is like that who was involved mm-hmm. in the Oscars. There, there's just no way they could be in those positions that they're in if that's their temperament was to just roll over. Yeah, I mean, I'm really worried it's about that museum. And I think the yeah. Academy is very likely in such a deep sea of red that they just have absolutely no leverage for the one big paycheck they get every year, which is from the station that's airing their show. It's true that, like, in a way, what we value about the ceremony is how it introduces us to movies, but we're not actually asking it to feel like a movie. Like, I don't need to be entertained in the same way, you know? Like, And so I understand that it's a specific sort of skill set, but it's also like, you know, Tim Roby texted and was like, what if we started from the premise of just you put everybody in the same room who was up for the awards and then you gave them the awards like that could be the beginning of reimagining the Oscars. That seems like a good foundation. And like it, it, it's like it does seem like we're sort of making it a little more complicated than we need to make it. But I, I also just get depressed about like uh, where you're like, it can't just be about ABC. And I'm like, well, it can't just be that nobody cares anymore because there's more and more people making movies all the time. And there's more and more, you know, I'm around students constantly who know things about lenses that I don't know and who are aware of like all kinds of the the technical stuff as well as they've watched everything a bunch of times. And like, but I do think there's a sense of really wanting, I don't know, it just, it just feels like the resentment of like holding things up as achievements or more achieved than something else. I think people really don't like that in a way <laughs> right now. Um, and um it's not about what people used to have qualms about, about pitting art against each other. It's sort of like the sense of calling something best doesn't appeal or that I might not have. um, I mean, you and I are both, I think it's not just that we're okay with it. I think we're sometimes kind of stimulated where we're like, I don't think I understood that movie or that was coming from a totally different place. than I can understand the story is coming from, but that intrigues me about it. And yeah, Um, I don't think that's what people are looking for from culture in general very often um, at this point. Yeah, I mean, but again, when I say things like that, I feel like I'm a snob or whatever. Yeah. But but it's just like, and maybe I am, but it's just like, I just don't understand how how anybody can move forward, even within what they're actually interested in. Like, let's let's say... I only cared about superhero movies because there are people who only care about that, right? Yeah. Even if I only cared about that, if I had no curiosity about art, I couldn't even I couldn't even progress within my love of superhero movies because I could never discern anything or or like be surprised or like you know, find a different way to think of a hero or whatever. Like, mm, mm-hmm. so the idea that people just have no curiosity about art anymore or they don't want to be challenged, I find that really hard to reconcile because I don't understand how anybody can get through life without 
liking to be challenged once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if it's something that they, even if they only want to be challenged within a very, very small genre, mm-hmm. like, cause there's a lot, it's not just superhero movies. There's a lot of people who only like one type of genre. Yeah. I find like the niche thing is definitely true of right now. Yeah. Um, but even within that, there's like, like I used to never watch horror movies. Right. But I read so much criticism that was always praising horror movies that I, now I kind of like them or not. I don't look forward to them, but like if something gets good reviews, I watch it now. Yeah. And that is entirely about my curiosity about art and not what, not what appeals to me. Yeah. So like, I just don't understand, like, yeah, I'm sound like a snob, but I just don't understand, like, I cannot be the only person who feels this way, like, who wants to be challenged and wants to be surprised or, and, and wants to grapple with things I don't quite get. Which I also, I mean, like I, we should probably, yeah, just own that there's some like, you know, snobbery or elitism or something baked into feeling this way. And yet I feel it's also very true that I feel very bonded to people in we're all asking questions that we don't have good answers to. Like we're all fumbling our way through our own lives in ways that are half mysterious to us, even though we know them really well, you know, yeah. like we all, I, I feel like people, um, you know, it's like why we travel. It's why we eat different stuff. It's why we hopefully try to meet different kinds of people. Like I, I don't feel like it's an elitist impulse to be looking for where you might find an answer or where something might um, explain something to you that hasn't felt explained or, mm-hmm. and um, I've always had the sense of looking to a lot of the movies that I watch in the way that many people in my life look to their actual human elders, like that they know things and that there's something in this story that will not just speak to exactly what the story is about, but that will prove valuable as the way to think about something maybe that looks really different that's happening to you. But I saw how that character responded to a setback or how you do sometimes feel two completely opposed things at once. And there's nothing to do about that. Like I just, I've gotten my education in all those things from the movies and and they tend to be movies that like this year's hosts would have kind of made fun of, even though I suspect that all three of those women like those kinds of movies and feel like they had to sort of play act as though they don't. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like, re- it's like reverse snob- snobbery now. Now it's yeah. like very uncool to like anything that's serious or challenging. Yeah. Or that you describe things as, I mean, I know that like there's some, you know, ambiguities and narrative traps along the way of Power the Dog, but I, I don't actually think it's that confusing. Or when Jimmy Kimmel's like, why does, why do we only recognize movies that aren't fun? It's like, or, I mean, Licorice Pizza is pretty fun. Like, Don't Look Up is pretty fun. Belfast is like fun, even when it's supposed to be about the troubles. It's real fun. Like, Coda's fun. And, like, you know, yeah, like, and also, Power of the Dog has that hula hoop scene. I mean, don't. I'm saying to you, movie. and I have like two <laughs> friends who've told me, like, that has completely changed the way we fight. When she says something that I feel insulted by, I just go and furiously hula hoop until I feel better. Like, there are people doing their own thing. West Side Story's fucking fun, even though it's also about heavy stuff. Like, this was a weird year to sort of act like. Um, you know, the Academy is showing no affinity for entertainment value. Um, yeah, but 
And, you know, I hate to break it. Then I know, I know people disagree, but like, there's a lot of funny shit in being the Ricardos. There is. Like, I laughed <laughs> a lot during that movie. I did. What can I say? Yeah. So to move in a happier direction. Yeah. What, um, from the movies themselves and the careers in play, who are you most interested to see what's next for them or, or where they're going to go from here. Oh, um, based on these triumphs, you know, whether yeah. that was, whether you thought it was a triumph or whether the Oscars did or whatever. Huh. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to have an answer in a second, but I wonder if you have one already. It's a little fanish, but like, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm wondering is there anything that Olivia Coleman can't do? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Because like, I'm so impressed with that performance. And I, I thought she was like a genius before that movie. And I think that movie, I think that performance is better than anything she's ever done. Mm -hmm. And I already thought she was like one of the greatest actors alive. So it's like, I'm kind of like, I just, I don't understand where you go from there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm a little curious, like, how do you, how do you, top yourself when you're already operating at such a high level yeah that's a good one um i'm interested in what denis villeneuve will want to do after he finishes dune um mm -hmm. i think he's been experimenting in such interesting ways with atmosphere and geometry and sound and um I wonder about the range of things that he might be curious to tackle. I'm really curious what people might think to ask from Penelope Cruz as she gets so re relaxed and transparent um, and confident um, as years go by. Um, yeah, because she didn't, like, I love her too, but, like, that relax, uh, relax wasn't always what you would use to describe her early work. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. And, yeah. and and I think, you know, I feel like she says in interviews herself, like confidence was not what it was about. And, you know, I think as a world, we, we especially over here, we made that pretty clear to her that we didn't think we should be confident based on the early <laughs> years of what was going on. And I, I love it when that happens, when somebody who I know I underestimated, it happened with Charlie's Throne also, where I thought yeah. like, we've got like the dozen of these, what's special about this one? And like, you know, you're wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm curious about her. I'm, I can't wait to see what Ari Wegner lights next. And if it's as different from these two movies of Zola and power of the dog as they were from each other and as both were from lady Macbeth. Um, so I'm psyched about her. I hope, I mean, if Troy Kotzer wants to be 007, I'm all for it, but I'm also really excited to see what else he might be asked to do. And yeah, I've been thinking about him a lot this week. Cause like, my thing with code, everybody, you know, everybody who's like cheering about its win, you know, of course I was not happy that it won, but um, if, you know, people are like, oh, it's a game changer, but in order to be a game changer, the game actually has to change. Yeah. Right. So like, I'm really curious if Hollywood just wanted to feel good about themselves or if they are going to take depth talent seriously, because if they are, then that's a great legacy for Coda to have. Yep. But if they aren't, it was just them trying to feel good about themselves. Yeah. And so, like, even though I was frustrated at the one, because I don't think it's 
a great movie, if its legacy turns out to be a great thing, I'm never going to complain about it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I will try never to complain about it again, except for in retrospect, it's about Power of the Dog. <laughs> but, yeah, and I hope, I mean, I, I, I admit it's hard to summon full optimism about this, but I'm, I'm hoping that Sean Hader is an even more kind of like, um, that she's got more colors to show us and that there's going to be some more kind of technique that might accrue around, along the way. I mean, I, I felt like briefly, like when I watched in the Valley of Elah and I only felt like this is what Paul Haggis looks like as he kind of tries to step up and keep pushing himself. And like, I didn't think it was a great movie, but I saw somebody really trying to, um, really trying and even yeah. saying in interviews like I watch crash and I see everything wrong with it. I kind of still can't believe that it hit the way that it hit. And like, she's got a little bit of that energy to me in some of these encounters. Like I don't, it felt very different um, to me to watch green book win. And I felt truly dumbfounded, like who is inspired by this. And I feel like watching Coda win, it was clear to me, who and why was genuinely moved and excited for the movie's success. So that helped. But I also felt like the Green Book guys seemed like such assholes. And yeah, I feel like and the, she doesn't. Yeah, you're right. And she you're doesn't. Right. And like yeah. that team has a really amazing bond with each other. And um, I hope I hope all four of them, um, I'm thinking of the lead actors, and, and you drew my eye to the woman whose name I don't know, Amy. Amy Forsyth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't be generous enough to extend this to some of the other actors in the movie. I just can't. Hanio oh, Derbez, I just, I'm sorry. It just didn't work out between us. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm always optimistic that, 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 that I do think people meet through these endless award seasons. Yeah, that yeah, if yeah. I got one wish, it would still be to like squish that the fuck down and take out most of the ceremonies and not have them look so tired and not have the voters be so desperate for just to flip the script that things go kind of wonky. But, um, but I do feel like they meet each other and, you know, like reading about Rebecca Hall and Ruth Nega on the 2016 circuit, continually winding up in the same rooms on the same actress contender panels, like look what happened. And yeah, so I'm so interested. I mean, maybe there's a question for you, like who would you be excited to see collaborate um, or, or join forces from this year's crop of nominees? Mm. Well, these are, this is a hard question. You know, since the musicals had such a big year, I'm really hoping that when people are meeting each other and, you know, like Ariana DeBose is poised to have a big career if she has range and, you know, versatility, which we mm-hmm. don't know yet, really. Yeah. Um, and I'm really hoping it's not just because, like, her next projects are, like, she has an action movie, a spy movie, and a superhero movie. Oh, wow. Okay. So, like... But I'm really hoping, like, people like her, like, that they think, you know, let's build a musical around this person. Mm, mm-hmm. Because even though, like, you need range, I'm saying it'd be interesting to see if she has range. But also, like, people who have those specific gifts, which is a very specific gift, mm-hmm. build something up. Like, like if a if a romantic comedy star, like a Meg Ryan or a Julia Roberts comes on the seat in the 90s, they build projects around them. Uh-huh. Or Sandra Bullock. But when, yep. it, when people show that they have these amazing musical abilities, they don't build anything around them. Yeah. They just, like, fall into something if somebody decides to make something that they end up on a short list. Yep. But it's just, like, why not build around what people can do? 
Yep. And see how far they can take it. Like, so I, I really hope that since she's Hollywood's interested in her, mm-hmm. she's a triple th- threat that somebody on the circuit was like, you know what? Let's see her. Let's build a musical around her where she isn't having to, I don't want to say copy because that sounds rude, but like where she isn't doing something we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Anita. Mm-hmm. We've already seen and loved. So we know we love that character or whatever. Yeah. Or Andrew Garfield, like, he showed a lot of range this year. Like, let's put him in another another situation where we can see what where else we can push him. So, I it, for me, it's more about like it, it, the Rebecca Hall and Ruth Nega thing is a great example because it's like for me, it's more of I hope they're meeting directors. Yeah, yeah. On these things that are like, oh, you know what, this person intrigues me, and I want to see where I can where I can guide them. Yeah. Because sometimes directors fail me in that way. <laughs> and and other times directors are clearly what unlocks something truly special about a performer. Uh-huh. Like when you think about Penelope Cruz without Almodovar, where would her career be? Yeah. And it's not yeah. that she's never given a great performance outside of his stuff, because she has, but like he he unlocked her, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so like I just really hope that more directors want to do that for actors who maybe haven't quite, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. No, I know what you mean. I, I, I know what you mean. Sense. Yeah. I, I had this little fantasy, especially since you've seen it. I, I can't figure out how to, but um, the human voice, that short that Amadovar made, I, have this idea of like, I don't know that I want to see a whole Amadovar feature about a lot of these people, but like, I would, I would watch a half hour where Amadovar and Kristen Stewart join forces and, <laughs> um, and see how her, you know, she tests herself so much. I mean, I just yeah. love that about her, even though I know we didn't respond to this movie, but, um, but just seeing the range of what might be possible, um, I think that would be really exciting or I'm so interested in like who Maggie Gyllenhaal has met given that she is clearly committed to continuing to direct and that I um, think almost any story that she would pick would probably be an interesting one and um, that she established such instant rapport with a cast. I wouldn't have thought to put this, those people in the same movie and I wouldn't have thought ever to cast Olivia Coleman in that kind of role. And so like, what is her eye drawing her to about some of the people? Like I know she's been over and over saying that Jessica Chastain just blew her away in the eyes of Tammy Faye and that that was one of her favorite performances of the year. And I wonder what um, possibilities might exist there, but, um, but it'll be more exciting if it's one that I don't see coming. Yeah. No, I hear you. But I think this is why I get frustrated when people, like, when a director says they want to work with, like, Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah. Not to, bag, not to bag on Meryl, but, like, I'm way more excited when a, excited about a director. Like, the new thing that people are talking about is that I think Paul Thomas Anderson said something about Denzel. Oh. Uh-huh. Like, wanting to work with him or something. And so whenever... Uh, like a really famous, really special director says they want to work with someone and it's somebody who's massive, who's had like 75 opportunities to show everything that they can do, like Meryl or Denzel. I'm like, mm. oh, can't you pick someone who hasn't, who other yeah. people haven't mined for like many, many great performances. Like, 
why not find your own Penelope Cruz or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, like, the thing that's making me crazy about him right now is like, why are you writing a project for Harriet Sampson Harris? It's mm. been so amazing in these bit parts in your movies. Like, why don't you want to push that and see what else she can do? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, or like really any of them. I mean, I hope everybody got a big question mark over Regina Hall the other night. Like Regina Hall with Paul Thomas Anderson sounds amazing to me. Regina Hall with Amadovar sounds yeah. amazing to me. Regina yeah. Hall with Jane Campion sounds amazing to me. Like, um, and she's making such gutsy, interesting choices that she's clearly open to a lot right now. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and even though I thought it was like, it's, I mean, I, I feel like do we just have to get through all the slap coverage before we start getting the articles about like, well, I mean, we kind of ragged on the Golden Globes and then like she definitely did just like feel all these guys up for like five whole minutes on stage, <laughs> which is the very thing the Globes got canceled for. But like, um, you know, OK, like there was some there were, there were things to comment on um, in in some of the jokes but like she's just so magnetic and i feel like is at that exact combo of like becoming more and more on more people's radars but is also still weirdly unknown to a lot of people at the same yeah. time that it's like a perfect weather system for a big exciting surprise um yeah yeah like if support the girls had been like a bigger film yeah you know because she's so amazing in it and like and you wonder, like, are Hollywood directors, when, when there's an indie success like that movie, mm-hmm. or, like, I'm, I'm not coming up with a, another example, or, like, are they watching all these things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Oscar votes show that maybe they aren't. <laughs> but, um, right. but you'd think that, like, I, I guess for me, like, I, I, I never had any interest in being a director, but, be, but, I like to judge other people, I guess, because <laughs> I'm always like, if I was a director, you know, yeah. but like if I was, like I would have a list of people, like, and it wouldn't be the megastars because I've already seen like the dozens of things they can do. Yeah. I'd want to be the one to discover. You know, I think that there would be like a real thrill and pride in in like building a repertory company, for example, mm. you know, like, like Almodovar does or, mm-hmm. uh, or Bergman used to, or, you mm-hmm. know, they're American or even, I mean, even Paul Thomas Anderson did it for a while. Like, yeah. Um, I think that that would be a thrilling thing. And I'm like, I, I understand there's, it's a business and there are things that complicate that, but um, you know, because you need a big star to sell your movie. But, yeah. But I mean, that, that, I think these are exactly the kinds of thought experiments that I sometimes find fun when people are sitting in mixed company. I mean, even last year, like, even before we got to debut, like, Glenn Close and Daniel Kaluuya hanging out was like, my eye is going there every fucking shot, you know? And I don't even <laughs> think I got to learn the room this year all that well of just, like, where people were. with a Yeah, few I felt things. like I didn't get that either. And it yeah. used to be you, you could... It used to be you got a sense of, you know, oh, this person's at this aisle and this person, yeah. you know, and like Marilyn Jack in the front or whatever it used to be yeah. for like decades, you know? 
Yeah. So um, like who's meeting who or who am I like, yeah. oh, well, that would be kind of interesting. Or that if I had any talent at, at things like directing, I would think like, oh, well, it's just because I mean, like watching Olivia Coleman have to like walk past Mahershala Ali and his wife as she went to get her first Oscar. I guess it's still her only whatever. <laughs> it feels to me like she's 112 at this point. But um I just like all that stuff of, of seeing, you know, the looks that people give each other or seeing Willem Dafoe beaming because she just won. And like, I go, I guess people really were and Paul Rudd is too. Like I miss all that background action of, yeah. of seeing yeah, how was, like, was, was that not there? What, did they just not have reaction shots this year or was I just so distracted by everything else? No, they mostly didn't. They mostly didn't. Hmm. And even like, you know, the the moment of cutting to the five nominees before the list, you know, before the winner got announced was like, you know, it felt like a second and a half. Like we didn't even get a lot of drama there, which. Which is like half of the joy. I know. And I feel like like the listeners, if they're still with us, like half of them are like, I know. And the other half are like, I can't believe these assholes are still talking about like, why weren't there three seconds on the nominees before the winner was called? But it really does matter. It really does. Like, this is why I watched Marley Matlin winning thousands of times. It isn't to see her speech again. It's because I want to watch Kathleen Turner's face over and over again, thinking, Maybe next year, Kathleen. Like, I just find that thrilling. (laughs) You know, we say that we don't want the Oscars to be so focused on online because they clearly don't understand that that's not representative of the whole world. Yeah. And yet we've got a lot to say. And yet they really should listen to what people obsess over about the Oscars online. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's right there, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Oscar fanatics. It's like people who just like doing memes, too. Mm-hmm. It's reaction shots. It's, you know, the five screens with all the faces. Like, these type of things excite everyone, even if they don't really care. Yeah. And, so, and then that's what you're not going to notice? Like, it's just like, I just don't get it. Oh. <sighs> But anyway, so much, so many bummer things. But I think you can tell from this conversation that we both still deeply love the movies. Love talking about the movies. Love thinking about actors and directors and craftsmen, um, craftspeople. Um, Ari Wagner can't wait to see what she does. I know. I'm, I, I don't, do you know speaking what she's of, doing? Uh, I, I don't. don't. But no. speaking of people like Olivia Coleman, like what can't they do? Seriously, what? kind of movie couldn't Ari Wagner shoot. Or Greg Fraser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so much range already. I know. And I kept screaming at the TV, thank Jane! I thank know. Jane! I know. But, you know, I, that I one get it. One too. I get it. But it's what I wanted. Yeah. Because I, that's actually one of my favorite things in the acceptance speech. It's pretty rare. But yep. it happens once in a while that people think that they're, you know, the person who helps them break out. Mm-hmm. that isn't connected to that movie. I think it's such a gracious and and important thing to do. Jeremy Irons, we see you. <laughs> Renee Zellweger, love you. <laughs> yep. Um, didn't Penelope, too, when she won? She did. Yes, she yeah. did. Halle Berry. A few of them have, have taken the trouble. Yeah. Didn't Kate Winslet even thank Peter Jackson? 
I think she might have, now that you mention it. Yeah, I can't remember for sure, but I just remember the dad and the whistle and the shampoo yeah. bottle. And like, I, it's, I've only seen that speech like probably 12 times. It's not <laughs> one of my varsity levels. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Important to thank the people before you were famous. I yeah. But it also helps if you think you're on a show that wants you to talk. And yeah, it's amazing no, that people who got good speeches out got them out in a context where they knew. I mean, Jessica Chastain, especially by the end of the fucking night, like must have felt like I, I appreciate the temerity that she seems to have said everything she wanted to say and covered a lot of ground. And I I'd kind of thought more speeches would be like that. Um, but I was really impressed with her yeah, and yeah. grateful for her commitment. And that she even, you know, did what she's been doing and connected it to Tammy, but it wasn't all like stuffed into the frame of Tammy Faye. Like I, yeah. there was a lot that spoke to a lot of people in the world in important ways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. Of um, course. Are you kidding? Who else would I want to talk to about this? <laughs> so it's, it's like uh, getting to talk to you about this is a happy way to end the Oscar season. Um, and, you know, onward and upward, hopefully, for next year. Um, we can always dream. We and can we'll, always dream. And listen, we'll always have the movies. And we'll always have the past <laughs> movies and the past Oscars. <laughs> Except some movies, like the list I have as a posted on my computer of, like, gotta watch these before the Oscars that I now, like, Luca, we're just never going to meet each other. I guess there were some Mitchells and some machines, but I'm never going to know. Like, there's certain things that just got pushed off onto a raft, and I apologize, but I am not interested anymore. <laughs> and, no, I do. Listen, that's me every year. And, like, I don't like it about myself, but the truth is that there's just a lot of movies in the world. There are. And there's a lot from the past that I still haven't seen that I'm still trying to catch up with. So can um, I ask you that as a last question? Because I feel like I think we might share that like the last thing I want to watch right now is something else from this conversation that we're finally leaving. Like, yeah. What, what are you, even if it's just a genre or a type of movie, but like, what are you just starved for right now that you think you want to watch next? Um, well, because we've been so focused on the right now, I'm starved to go back, like to see old Hollywood stuff. Like, uh -huh. And I, I realize I return to it, you know, fairly regularly for special events or whatever on the site. But um, this is why I keep doing the SmackDown, you know, because mm -hmm. like even though it's like very, you know, I use the Oscars as a frame. I should probably come up with an idea where I don't always have to use the Oscars as a frame because there's a lot of movies they didn't recognize. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I'm very excited this season to go back to 1951 because, you know, of course, I've you know, seeing the Best Picture nominees and, you know, some of it, but I, I, I don't think I've seen everything from that year that I meant to, you know, uh -huh. have, like, you know, I think there's like a few things that I really intended to see. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I think that I'm going to finally finish the Godfather trilogy. I've never seen Godfather part three. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And because the, they restored the original, and re-released it, you know, I'm going to do it for best shot. And I think I'm going to use that as a way to, you know, do all three. Oh, that's exciting. I mean, I'm not committing to it. I shouldn't have no. said it out loud on the It's podcast. still exciting. I might do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I just, I, yeah, I've never seen it. And, you know, like, it just feels like, even though nobody considers the third one, like, 
you know, people just sort of brush it aside, but I like to be a completist in a lot of ways about a lot of things. So yeah, I should probably see it. Um, How about you? Um, I, around the same time as Godfather part three, I've been like, um, I know that the Criterion channel has that like retrospective of Sundance 92, that a lot of those movies are about to fall off on the 31st. And I've never seen things like gas food lodging. Or, wow, that's so bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like Drew Barrymore and Poison Ivy. And um, there there are the water dance with Eric Stoltz. Like those were all movies that were like they had ads in the paper, but they were in a city that we couldn't really get into. You know, that if yeah. they'd been down the block for me, I would have wanted to go test them out. But I was not going to ask my mom, can you drive me in? to DC 45 minutes from here so I can go see the water dance with Eric Stoltz. Like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, around that same era. And I've also been trying to like experiment with remodelings of what my website looks like. And so I've been starting with the early nineties years and I've been watching things that I know I've seen, but I don't remember anything about them. And so like presumed innocence, I just rewatched the other day or the, Oh yeah. I have no memory of that either. Other than, other than that. I liked Bonnie Bedelia in it. Yeah. There you go. That's the only thing I remembered about it. Like Flatliners I watched over again and Amir and I the other night just were like feeling slap happy at 11 o'clock and he's like, just put on Total Recall. We'll watch it at the same time. I haven't seen it since middle school. I was like, me either. Let's do it. Three-breasted woman. Like, and it's so kind of fun to realize that in some cases you remember way more of the movie than you thought you did and in some cases it's like, this may as well be a first encounter. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. So, I should probably do that with the early, early 90s because I lived in Norway in 1990. And so, like, I didn't see, like, I saw some, like, 89 things that in mm. movie theaters mm-hmm. in 1990 in Norway. Um, but it was mostly things like, you know, I was, like, loving seeing, like, Little Mermaid in a different language, you know, that sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. But, like, there are a lot of, like, things that I would have normally seen, like the indies, for example. Like, you're mentioning those 92 ones, and I've seen all those that you were mentioning. But uh-huh. I was in the States and watching indie movies, you know. Uh-huh. But, like, the indie stuff from, like, 1990 and 1991 is kind of a... Different question. It's kind of like a one of my blank spaces, which is weird, because a lot of 90s stuff I've seen, you know. Yeah. Um. And like what you're saying about your SmackDown, I'll just use a podcast to bump somebody else's podcast. But um, Juan Carlos Ohano has had me on another time to mm-hmm. talk about foreign films from 1952, including the one that you love, which is Forbidden Games, which is so incredibly great. But yeah. the, those um, his conversations are such an invitation to go back and look at things that have every possibility that they are probably masterpieces and I've just never watched them so I watched like then and they're in genres of film that I don't gravitate to so like I watched an Ozu movie and I watched a Mizuguchi movie and I watched an early Fellini movie that was a crazy comedy about a married it's called the white chic do you know this movie I only know it in I haven't seen it but I only know it because it's what um it's what inspired Knights of Kabiria isn't it because she plays well Kabiria shows up as a character Yeah. yeah And it's like late in the movie, but it's about a like a rustic couple who've gone to Rome to have their honeymoon. And the wife is like waiting for him to go take a shower so she can sneak off and try to go find the movie star that she's been writing letters to. Like <laughs> doesn't want anything to do with her husband. And that's the plot. Um, so that was a really fun experience of like having the right prompt that we sometimes need to just like 
watch things because they're probably great. Yeah, um, I mean, I I, w- I just did uh, recently just did 1957 with him, uh, One Inch Barrier podcast shout out. Um, so we I, did Kabiria's together. Okay. Oh so, yeah, so I watched Kabiria, which loved so much. Um, I had never yeah. seen it. Or I hadn't had, seen it either. Or had I seen it? Like anyway, it was one of those where if I had seen it. Oh no, I I know the one I'm thinking of. I have seen Ivid Aloni, but it's a movie that I don't remember anything about. But I've okay. seen it. But this one I actually hadn't seen Nights of Career. So I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. And um because I don't always like feel that way about Fellini. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like ambivalent on La Strada. Like I recognize yep. why people love it, but I'm just like, okay, yeah, like it's good. This so, like, was always gonna go this way. This is what this movie <laughs> was always gonna be about. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about La Strada. So I wasn't actually like that excited about Kabiria and just blew me away. I ditto. And then, um, uh, and then I got to see Mother India for the first time, which I'd always meant to. But again, it's like a it's like a prompt. You know, you, like, yeah. you need somebody to push you to watch a three hour Bollywood movie from the fifties. You know. Yep. Um, and I'm really glad I did, even though I didn't think it was a masterpiece. I'm really glad I did because it is a, like a crucial Bollywood movie for Bollywood cinema. Yeah. I feel like I have a piece of that puzzle now. Yeah. Of understanding where a lot a lot of their tropes come from. Because that was yep. so famous. Um and yeah, so it's a, it's I love that podcast. Um and I I just it hasn't aired yet, but I just did uh another episode of And the Runner Up is uh-huh. on Best Actress. So I did 1947. Uh-huh. Um, which uh, is the uh, Loretta Young year. So uh, speaking of movies where you... Rosalind Russell just burned in her grave when you said that, but yes. (laughs) Speaking of movies you've seen and don't remember anything of, I know that I saw Farmer's Daughter. I have a very specific memory of going to Farmer's Daughter Uh because we had an old repertory house in Detroit that my parents used to take me to, and my mother loved that movie. So uh-huh. it was like, oh, you have to go see this movie. I loved it as a little girl, blah, blah, blah. So I, I saw it. I didn't remember not a second of it. Like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, what is this insanity? And I've actually seen it before, and, like, not one scene registered as something I'd seen before. Oh. <laughs> I just remember going to the theater as a child and seeing it, you know, the local rep house. And um, But anyway, that's a crazy movie. Crazy. Um and seeing Possessed again was a treat. Um, David! David! <laughs> uh, the only one I skipped watching again, because I've seen it too many times, is Gentleman's Agreement. But I know that no. movie well, so that was okay. Yep. But, whoo! Rosalind, I'm sorry, girl, but you did not deserve the Oscar for that movie, so I'm glad you didn't <laughs> And Katina Paxson, who um, you might not have deserved an Oscar for any movie. <laughs> Like, I think the theater was so clearly your thing is so great, but um, what are you doing? Yeah, but but the others were treats. Like, Farmer's Daughter was insane, so I loved watching it, even though it's not a great movie. And uh, yeah. Possessed, I love, of course, and Smash mm-hmm. Up was Susan Hayward's a joy. I'm to say Smash Up, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so everybody listening, be on the, on the lookout for that podcast. And That's right. There are gardens of earthly delights out there asking to be watched, even though we have misspent adulthoods to correspond with our wasted youths watching nominees for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it has led me to see many great movies. Yes, it has. Like a lot of a lot of bad movies too. But sure, but you take the good, you take the bad. I'm 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 saying to you, yep. So it only takes one Georgia to redeem a hundred city slickers. That's all it takes. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to you.